Our text for today is Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 8. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live, and go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes may, may have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes as the Lord your God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all those statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord your God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, and what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous that all this law that I set before you today. Here ending the reading of the word. I'm digging this new setup. The, uh, I can hear all of you so much better. It's just glorious to hear the voices of the saints as we sing together. Before we get, begin Let's ask God to reveal himself to us through his word. God, we gather now in order to hear you speak to us. We gather because not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness, which washed us and unifies us. There's no reason that this group of people should gather today other than your sovereign work through Christ and by your Spirit in our hearts. And so we gather today to hear from you, to be equipped by you, and to be sent by you to make your glory known here in this city and to the ends of the earth. We ask you to be with us, not on our own merit, but because of Christ. Amen. There's this phenomenon in economics about making difficult decisions in life called the prisoner's dilemma. Whether or not you've heard of it before, you've likely experienced it or seen it in many ways, either in movies or in your own life, it's in game theory. It's when two people who can't communicate with each other need to make a decision for their own benefit that might affect another person, that other person. If they were able to communicate with each other, they could come to some mutually beneficial decision. But the trick is that in the dilemma, there's always uncertainty about what the other person is going to do. The classic case from where the dilemma gets its name is when two criminals who are partners in crime are arrested for a rather minor, relatively minor infraction. But the the prosecutors and the, the what are they called, detectives, they interrogate them separately, offering them a plea deal. If you rat out this other guy, if you testify against him, we'll set you free. 
But they gave that to the other guy as well. The trick is they don't know what they're doing. If they would keep their mouths shut, they would both get a slap on the hand for that minor thing and walk free. If one testifies against the other, he gets to go free and the other guy takes the full blame. But the real tricky part is if they both testify against each other, they're both doomed. They both end up in prison. So the worst case scenario is they both tell on each other, but there's a little incentive to try it out. The best case scenario is if they can figure out a way to work together, cooperate. But there's great risk because you never know what the other's going to do. In many ways, church membership is quite a bit like the prisoner's dilemma. When you're new to a church or new to the faith, you don't know what the other people there are going to do. You don't know enough to make a well-informed decision. You can't communicate enough to avoid every one of the greatest risks. You might choose to cooperate, that is, join the church, but then you open yourself up to getting burned, as many of you may have been burned by churches in the past. You could take the safe option and just stand at the fringes of the gathering and not take that next step to join, but there's great biblical risk in that as well. The highest reward biblically comes when both parties, church and individual, coordinate, cooperate together. You deny yourself your personal freedom. You take upon yourself the burdens of the church family and you'll find, hopefully, that they too will take your burdens upon themselves. The most common question that the elders of this church get from people who want to know more about Redemption City Church have to do with membership. Why do you guys talk about membership all the time? Where does the Bible say that you should join a local church in membership? Show me the verse that says that. How do you tie in baptism and communion to membership? I'm just not seeing that in the Bible anywhere. I've spoken with many of you over the last month about that very question. So as we've been exploring the last couple of weeks what the entire story of the Bible is, I want to show you today that the story reveals God's righteousness unites a diverse people for His mission. Community is an essential part of the story. God's righteousness at every stage unites a diverse people for His mission. We've spent the last couple of weeks giving us overview of the whole Bible, showing how the minor prophets that we're going to be preaching on over the next few months fits into that story, but also how the story shapes our identity as a church. Two weeks ago, we dove into this idea asking the question, what is God's purpose in creation? We see that God's purpose is to glorify Himself. Through all of history, through all of creation, the whole point is to glorify Him. That shapes our identity as worshipers on mission. And then last week, Jake marvelously showed us how every single page of the Bible points us to Jesus Christ as the King of all things. Reminding us that the key value of all of our core values is Christ-centeredness. And now this week, we're going to wrap up this short series focusing on God's plan to glorify Himself through His redeemed people. A diverse people unified into community. Our final two core values. The entire Bible is about defining the people of God. That's what the whole covenant 
structure of the Bible is all about, giving a backbone to the story. The Bible starts and ends with identifying God's people by His unifying grace. People were made to enjoy worshiping Him together. We were made to be sent on missions in order to unify people to glorify Him. And today we're going to see how it is that God decided this mission would unfold through the local church. Through people set apart, unified by marks that define our corporate relationship by His righteousness. And the clearest example of this is of these distinguishing marks in the Bible is those of Israel. We're all familiar with who Israel is and they have all of these laws that tell them what they're supposed to do. But that's been the pattern of the whole Bible. So to to show you this pattern from the beginning of defining the boundaries of God's people, first we're going to look at our Deuteronomy text, which is the clearest example of it, and see that God's goal in defining His people was to show them how to enjoy His blessings and to commission them to share His blessings with others. And then we're just going to turn back into Genesis and see that same pattern. Start with Adam and Eve. Come to Abraham and work through Christ to us today in the church. God has always been defining His people with righteous rules that define their mission to glorify Him. It's a pattern established in the beginning and continues today in the church. So let's look at our text in Deuteronomy and see how God did it with Israel. He's making a people to enjoy His blessings. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I have, that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See? I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. So the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' last sermon to the people of Israel before they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. That previous generation, though, because 40 years have gone by, the previous generation was saved from Egypt, brought out through these miraculous, wonderful works of God. And they gathered together at the foot of the mountain to receive God's defining identity markers and to commission them to represent Him before the world. But they rebelled against God. So God punished them by leading them through the wilderness for 40 years. 40 long, gruesome years. Just enough to allow every one of those last generation to die. Because God wanted their next generation to rise up. The the children of the ones that came out of Egypt would rise up. They would receive those promises and charge into the promised land. But Moses wants to warn them, stay faithful. Don't be like your fathers. Don't be like that last generation that you witnessed just weeks ago at Baal Peor. The last of them died off because they worshipped false gods. They committed adultery with foreign women. So he says, 
Don't be like them. Keep God's commands and live. Keep God's statutes and enjoy the blessings that follow. Moses wants to remind them that their purpose is to enjoy God's blessings by being God's people, living with God. So he explains all these statutes and rules throughout the book of Deuteronomy that are to bring them a life of blessing. 613 laws telling them how they should relate to one another and how they need to relate to God. Defining who they are as a community. They're to receive them as exactly as written. Don't add or subtract anything. Just do them. And if they live righteously, they will have their own land flowing with milk and honey. They will live in great prosperity all together as a family protected from their enemies. Their wombs will be fruitful. Their flocks and cattle abundant. God's people enjoying God's blessing for God's glory. These rules were just telling them how to experience what God was offering them through His community. These laws aren't primarily given just to guide an individual's life in righteousness, but to define an entire nation, a group of people. They were to be like God, enjoy Him, and be distinct from the world. So, circumcision was a picture of being cut off from the nation. All of the civil laws were supposed to show the nations how living with God makes you a more righteous, holy, merciful people. All of those temple laws showed how they can maintain a relationship with God living with them. If anyone broke the laws, they were cast out of the community. If anyone wanted to join the community, they had to go through a set of ceremonial laws to initiate them in and keep them in. These things set them apart as a united people, distinguished in a relationship with God. But the goal was never just to isolate them from the nations. Here's the people of Israel, the people of God, and all those wretched people out there. God's purpose in saving and blessing Israel was so that Israel would share the blessings with the nations. Go back into verse 5 in Deuteronomy 4. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there who has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon Him. What great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? So Moses immediately goes back to the laws, the statutes and the rules, and he says in the first four verses, the point of the rules is to give you blessings, to shower you with good things. But there's more to it. It's also so that you will share God's blessings. This adds a little bit different dimension to how we think about the law. Law isn't just defining who's in and who's out, but it commissions you, it tells you, defines your responsibility in the community. See what Moses says in verse 6, the commands will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples. They're supposed to live in such a marvelous way of loving one another right in front of all the other nations. 
so that they will look at him and marvel and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And why, why are they that way? They're asking questions. Why? Tell me why. Tell me about the hope that lies within you. Well, it's because we have a God so near us as the Lord our God is to us. God's nearness to His people should be seen as distinct from the world, and, but to draw them in to the family. So the purpose of the law is to set people apart both to enjoy God's blessings and to share God's blessings with the world. God's laws aren't bad. They're good. They're part of His design. God's story is always about gathering people under His righteousness, giving them laws to describe behavior for receiving the blessing and sending them out, commissioning them to share the blessing. So let's jump out of the Deuteronomy text and go back to the beginning and see how that's always been the plan from day six anyway. We always want to begin our understanding of any of these questions we have from the Bible in Genesis 1, especially the creation of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, God says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. Said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it and have dominion over it. In just these two verses, we see the same pattern of establishing rules to enjoy his blessing as a community and to share them with the world. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. In the image of God, he made him male and female, he created them. There's already built into the image of God diversity. Male and female are different, but they're equal. Adam and Eve and how they relate to one another is supposed to reflect who God is. In their relationship, male and female, different and equal, they're unified in one flesh, diversity in unity. Just like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unified as one God. Diversity and unity, who before the foundations of the earth enjoyed blessing Himself, and now He is sharing His blessing with the world. This community of humanity, Adam and Eve, had certain commands. One in particular we all remember, don't eat the fruit of that one tree. That was the the limiting command, the boundary command. If you want to receive my blessings, don't do that. But they also had commands of commissioning. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. Both enjoy the blessings and share the blessings. But they didn't want to do that. They thought they could get blessings a different way, so they rejected God. But God... His plans will not be thwarted, so He will start a new people, commission a new people, define new boundaries. And He does so the same thing with Abraham. He tells Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7, He's going to bless Abraham with many children. He's going to make a great nation out of Abraham. If you want to receive those blessings, it's rather limited. You need to be born from Abraham's family and be circumcised. Otherwise, bummer, you're out. But later on in Genesis 22, God adds further detail, telling Abraham, nope, I'm blessing you in order that you would be a blessing to all the nations, that your offspring will bless all the nations. So even this covenant with Abraham, we see the promise is to bless him 
in righteousness and use him to share the righteousness with the world. This calling then becomes clearer, as we've seen, in the people of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant with Israel. Those 613 commands defined who they would be, both to enjoy the blessings and be a light to the nations. They were supposed to be a kingdom of priests who welcomed people in, washed them by the blood of the Lamb, and washed them in the big giant bronze laver so they could walk into the presence of God. They were to be a family that took care of each other with all the blessings God gave them. They were to be ambassadors representing God before the entire earth. Leviticus 23.12 reminds them, guys, this isn't about just you being a great people. These rules define a relationship. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. The whole point of all of those laws is to show them how to be a people who love each other and love God, enjoying His community provisions. But they, just like Adam and Eve, rejected it. The story just keeps repeating itself. They don't get to enjoy the blessings. They don't get to stay in the land. They become a laughingstock to the nations. Ezekiel says that God even departed from the temple because they couldn't keep His laws. They weren't calling the nations to righteousness. They were joining the nations in wickedness. So God told the prophet Hosea, as Jake's going to preach on next week, to name one of his own children. This is incredible. Some of us, we were talking last week about your children's names having good meaning. Hosea was to name his children, not my people. Not my people. He says, because you are not my people and I am not your God. How'd you like to grow up with that name? So just like Adam and Eve, they fail. But there's promises that God still wants to share His blessings with the world. He's not done redeeming His people. So both Ezekiel and Jeremiah tell us about these wonderful promises that He's going to begin a new relationship, gather a new people, commission a new gathering to go out and make Him known. This new covenant relationship will be God putting His law, His own Spirit, right inside of His people. God Himself will cause them to obey the commands. He will cause them to obey so He can give them His blessings. And both of them promise, I will be their God and they shall be My people. And then later, the prophet Zechariah picks up on this same new covenant promise. And he says it's going to extend to the nation. God's going to gather all the nations to Himself and call them My people. Incredible. So this new covenant relationship will be similar to the old. It'll have some similar defining characteristics. But it's going to be nothing like they expected. The law and God's Spirit won't just dwell in a temple, in a building, in a different city, but in His people. Obedience will be natural. It'll just flow out of His people. The blessings to all the nations will be guaranteed. But it's going to take a dramatic work of God Himself to make it happen. God had done all kinds of work through many other different people at many different times, and it never worked out. It was so God could show That won't work, that won't work, that won't work, 
It requires me. I must do it. Noah and a brand new creation, that didn't gather people in God's blessings. Abraham couldn't do it. Separating his people from Egypt didn't fix the problem. Having a great king, a a wise counselor, an influential leader couldn't keep them faithful. It took God becoming one of us. That person is Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. John 1 tells us that He dwelt among us. He built His tabernacle among us by becoming one of us. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He was the only man in history not to stray from the boundaries of God's people and to completely fulfill His commission given to God's people. The Father said, This is My beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus said, If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father because I am in the Father and the Father is in Me. This is what it means to be God's people. He enjoyed that perfect fellowship of righteousness with God and shared it with others. Throughout the Old Testament, there was always this faithful remnant. Even though all of Israel was rebelling, running from God, there was a few people who passed it on to their children and they passed it on. They remained faithful. But the Gospels narrow it down even further. You see, these great crowds follow Jesus But when it gets hard, they scatter. Even the day, the night before his death, his closest disciples left him, leaving him alone as the faithful remnant. Jesus alone is the only one who can really be called God's people. But on the cross, in this super mysterious way, he's hanging there, taking upon himself the identity of not my people. God judged him as a rebel. Cast Him away from His presence like Adam and Eve, like Israel, so that we who are not My people can be renamed My people. If we're in Christ, all those promises from the prophets are for us. They will be My people and I will be their God. Because Jesus is the faithful Israel, we can receive the promises in Him. But not only do we see the promised blessings that He gets, we see at the end of Matthew 28, as we saw a few weeks ago, that He takes all that authority and hands it off to us and gives us a commission. Now go do what God's people were always supposed to do. Bring them into My community. This great commission is a community commission. It's the identity of the church. Paul calls The church in Galatians 6.16, the Israel of God. It's not that the church has replaced Israel. He tossed them aside and just, I'm going to start with his new people. But the church is becoming, is fulfilling everything that Israel was supposed to do. Not because we are a different people, but because we are in the true Israel. Jesus himself. Jesus didn't work through a paradigm of replacement, but a paradigm of fulfillment. So we have this similar feel of Israel, even though we're much greater than they ever imagined. We even see that back in our Deuteronomy text. The church isn't something new that we only see in the New Testament. Just two verses after our text, in verse 10, God says, gather to me my people. The word gather there in the Greek translation is church. Church together, my people. This has been what God has been doing from the beginning. 
gathering his people. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, this is the imagery he has in mind. I'm gathering people. That word church means gather is often used in the Old Testament for Israel gathering at the bottom of the mountain, gathering around the tabernacle to worship, gathering in Jerusalem at the temple for the feasts. This is what God has been doing since the beginning, blessing his people to be a blessing to the nations. But this time, we're going to be successful. Unlike all of those previous iterations of God's gathered and marked people, this time it's guaranteed because he puts his spirit in us so we can open up the last book of the Bible in Revelation 5 and see every tribe, language, people, and nation are gathered together before the throne. And we see right at the end of Revelation, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. People who have the defining marks of God's righteousness will finally receive their blessings and fill the earth with them. So, when people ask us, where do we get this idea of membership from? We say, the entire Bible. When we answer that question, we've got to keep in mind this entire storyline of God gathering His people under His authority to receive blessing, and to share them in mission to the ends of the earth. Friends, salvation isn't just about paying for your sins, Jesus dying on the cross for you so that you can go to heaven someday. It's not just about that future gathering that we see in Revelation. It's about gathering together now as God's marked people. People who reflect, point the world to that coming gathering. The gathered church is God's plan to save the world in Christ. As strange as it seems to even say that, we, we're the ones, not so much us, but Christ in us. Membership is just the modern way that we express this ancient pattern of God calling His people to righteous community to enjoy His blessings and share them with the nations. But this time it's guaranteed because Christ's righteousness is at work in us. These blessings, as always was the plan, are to be enjoyed and shared in connection with His people. All of the rituals that define us are grounded in those Old Testament patterns. Baptism marks entrance into the community, being born as a new creation, as we see throughout the Bible from beginning to end, new creation coming out of water. If you're a new creation, you symbolize that by coming out of water into a new family. And communion is a ritual of togetherness grounded in the Passover that Israel shared regularly as a reminder of their shared common salvation. So we do it regularly to remind us of our unity as a family. Membership is not the ground of your salvation. Christ is. But it is the expected result of your salvation. You receive the blessings of God through Christ alone, but you experience them and you share them in connection with His redeemed community. So one commentator writes, membership is not essential for salvation like the gospel is, but it is essential for guarding that gospel from one generation to the next, as well as growing a gospel people from immaturity to maturity. I would clarify that 
membership is not required for your salvation, but it is essential for our corporate witness, for your assurance to know that you are saved, to persevere to the end. Membership connects us to the story of God that He's been unfolding since the beginning. So we can enjoy His blessings and be on mission. If you want to more fully experience God's blessings and be equipped to share them with the world, if you want to endure to the end and be assured of your salvation, then join yourself to Christ's redeemed people. There's thousands of faithful gatherings, outposts of faithfulness all over the world. You don't need to join this one. But you have no excuse not to commit yourself to one of them. Find one and join yourself to it. It's for your good. It might feel like a prisoner's dilemma. You have to join yourself to people who might hurt you. Probably more than might. At some point, one of us is going to hurt one of you. And you'll all hurt each other. But the alternative is staying on the edges of the gathered community. And it might feel right for a while, but you're denying yourself the certainty of long-term joyful faithfulness. You're separating yourself from God's plan to give blessings to His people and share them with the world. You're denying yourself accountability, assurance of salvation that you get by being redeemed and marked by His reminders of baptism and communion built up by the encouragement of the saints. Friends, I don't think that this is just a made-up doctrine that we're pleading with you to consider. think this is the entire story of the Bible. So commit yourself fully to that story of God's plan to save the world through blessing His people gathered locally. If you haven't done that yet, do so as soon as you can. The local church is God's plan to save the world. Join the family. Join the mission. Enjoy His blessings poured out on His people. Let's pray. God, I can honestly say that no greater blessing have I experienced than that which I have received through these people, my brothers and sisters at Redemption City Church. These last few years of my life have been some of the most difficult, most painful, most confusing and dark times, and yet these people have bore that burden with me. They have showered me with Your encouragement, with the praise, and lifted me up to see You when I couldn't. When it was too dark to shine Your light, I am thankful for those blessings and it makes me all the more long for the day when we will finally toss off the shackles of this cursed body and enjoy You with freedom. When all the redeemed saints from all over the world join together, God, I long for that day. Would You use us, Redemption City Church, not just to give us Your blessings, but to share them with the world Help us to send out missionaries, plant new churches, talk to our neighbors, and invite them into this community of blessing earned not by our own goodness, but by the righteousness of Christ. We are thankful for that, God. Would you continue to mark us as your people for your glory? Amen.